Let us pray. O Jesus, our good shepherd, you have laid down your life for your sheep. For your immense love, we thank you. But we confess that we sheep have gone astray into danger and after false shepherds. Fend off the wolves, forgive our sin, bring us into your fold, and let your life be for us too. Amen. Dear fellow redeemed, grace to you and peace from God our Father and our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. The text for our meditation this morning is the Holy Gospel appointed for the third Sunday of Easter, the Gospel according to St. John, the 10th chapter, beginning with the 11th verse. We read verse 11 again in Jesus' name. Please rise. Jesus said, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. These are your words, Heavenly Father. Sanctify us in the truth. Your word is truth. Amen. The Lord told King David, you will shepherd my people Israel. When the prophet Samuel went to anoint him, David's father Jesse told the prophet, he's tending the sheep. So God took this shepherd boy and made him a shepherd king. The pattern is similar to the call of the first apostles. Jesus found them casting a net into the sea since they were fishermen. He said to them, come, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. In both cases, a humble and filthy job is translated into the exalted work to be done in the kingdom of God. Consider today what it means that Jesus is the good shepherd, which makes him distinct from all other shepherds, all the bad or mediocre or even the passable shepherds. He is the good shepherd. And in this role, Jesus lays down his life for the sheep. This shows that he truly loves his sheep and that he truly knows his sheep. In this metaphor, Jesus contrasts himself, the good shepherd, and indeed any actual shepherd, with the hired man. Such a person only loves money. Because he works for money, he does not care about the sheep. And this can put you in mind of Jesus' sermon in which he said, no one can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and mammon. In those words, Jesus was counseling against idolatry to money and possessions. If a person loves money, he won't have any room to love God. You can see how this happens. The care and worry of life is easily solved with money, whereas God seems to work so slowly, if at all. And if he works, it's not easy to tell. But with a credit card, things can be purchased, worries can be dispelled, and life can be improved. So work becomes more important than church or devotion, because with work, that's how you gain that money. And then television becomes more significant than Bible reading, something to entertain you and keep you motivated during the day. Bread for the table is more important than the living bread from heaven, because that food gives you strength to work your day-to-day -day work. It's similar in the opposite direction, too. When the giver only gives in order to get something out of it, then any obstacle to that getting makes the giving not worth it. That, however, is the opposite of love. Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. 
The hired man runs from the wolf, but the good shepherd puts his own body into the wolf's jaws to protect the sheep. It's interesting that that is the feature that Jesus chooses to highlight for this shepherd work. But it gets to the core of his purpose. The shepherd truly loves his sheep. Every part of his work is for the life of his sheep, even to the ultimate point of dying for them. For Jesus, of course, this isn't some lovey-dovey, I love you so much, I die for you. No, for Jesus, death was the purpose. Just Death was the, gain, the, the goal and the aim As he went on to say, I laid down my life so that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down on my own. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This is the commission I received from my Father. Rooted in Jesus' own death and resurrection, therefore, is your life. As St. Paul summarized, he was handed over to death because of our trespasses, And was raised to life because of our justification. And so every other work that the shepherd does should be based on that ultimate purpose. He came to take the punishment and the guilt and the shame for your sin. And to give you his eternal life. He came to save you. Moses prayed, may the Lord, the God of the spirits of all flesh, appoint a man over the community who will go out before them and come in before them, who will lead them out and bring them in so that the community of the Lord will not be like sheep without a shepherd. That prayer was immediately answered in Joshua, after, who after Moses led the Israelites into the promised land. And then it was further and more fully fulfilled in a later Joshua, the name which in Greek is Jesus who called himself the Good Shepherd. Sheep without a shepherd are a truly pitiful sight. They wander listlessly. They have no defenses against predators. They're liable to wander off where there is no food or water and so starve. Or they'll stumble off a cliff or be caught in brambles. You can picture Jesus' parable. If a man has a hundred sheep and one of them wanders away, will he not leave the 99 on the hills and go looking for the one that wandered away? If he finds it, amen, I tell you, he rejoices more over that one sheep than over the 99 that did not wander away. And that is Jesus' loving purpose. He came to find the lost sheep. And he keeps caring for the sheep of his flock. Famously, Psalm 23 depicts the blessed work that this good shepherd does. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Other shepherds may fail to provide, but not the Lord. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. The food that this good shepherd provides is eternal food of righteousness. Food which gives you not only life for a day, but life for eternity. And it comes through that perfect righteousness of Jesus. And thereafter, he keeps you walking in righteousness. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Along the paths of righteousness, they may take you through those dangerous valleys, those troublesome and sorrow-filled valleys, even the valley of death. But the good shepherd all along that way defends his sheep from all danger. 
David described the life of a shepherd boy. When a lion or a bear came and took a lamb from the flock, I went after it and struck it and rescued the lamb out of its mouth. When the lion reared up against me, I grabbed it by its mane, struck it, and killed it. Your servant struck both the lion and the bear. Your good shepherd jealously pursues the devil who tries to snatch you to death for himself. Jesus, in fact, has crushed that predator's head. Now, whenever any temptation tries to pull you away, as you struggle in its jaws, you can look up and see the rod and staff of your Savior and rest assured that he has defeated death, and you will not be harmed by this. Those tools, the rod and the staff, are very useful for the shepherd. With them, he can drive away predators, and with them, he can nudge naughty sheep back onto the appropriate paths, or even pull them free from the brambles that they're stuck in. So your shepherd can correct you or discipline you when you're wrong, and it may be uncomfortable, but it is for your salvation. Ultimately, it's done with love. And the good shepherd never yanks a wandering lamb away from brambles without then providing the love and life that that lamb needs. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup runs over. Look how abundantly the shepherd loves you. He feeds you a feast even before your enemies. So your Lord prepares his table to give you life and forgiveness. And he anoints you with so much rich oil as his own chosen one that you overflow with blessings. And so the Lord has put his spirit on you in your baptism and continues to bear you up in it. Here in the means of grace are the green pastures and the quiet waters that your shepherd wants to nourish you with. He wants you to stay connected to this. Even when you struggle with sin and temptation, he loves you and he wants you connected to his life through these things so that he can forgive you, strengthen you, and give you his life. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. In this life you are blessed, but that will come to a greater fulfillment on the last day when you will dwell with your shepherd at the tables of boundless feasts in the mansions that he's prepared for you. Now, it may not always seem like you have blessings in this life, or the blessings you do have may seem to be overwhelmed by the troubles. When this is your reality, you're not abandoned, you're not alone. He truly knows his sheep. I am the good shepherd, Jesus says, I know my sheep, and my sheep know me, just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father. A Lutheran pastor from the 1600s said that this knowing, this way that Jesus knows you, means to simultaneously love, to accept someone from the bottom of the heart, and consequently care for him. And this knowledge is not simply to know about a person. It doesn't mean that Jesus knows what to call you, or knows when your birthday is, or knows what your hobbies are. No, this knowledge is so much more. It means that Jesus knows you like a person loves a fav- knows a favorite book or a favorite painting or a favorite song. Jesus knows you like a perfectly loving husband knows his wife. The bride in Song of Solomon asked her beloved, place me like a seal over your heart, like a seal on your arm, because the love, love is as strong as death. Its passion is as relentless as the grave. Its flames are flames of fire, a mighty flame. A seal like this on the heart or on the arm was used to mark personal property. So the bride asks in the first place that she mark her bridegroom as her own. 
But further, being so close, sealed on his heart and on his arm, her bridegroom would be able to protect her permanently. This metaphor then describes a relationship in which the bride and bridegroom belong intimately to one another permanently. In Revelation, John saw the vision of an angel coming up from the east who had the seal of the living God. He called out with a loud voice to the four angels who were given power to harm the earth and the sea. He said, do not harm the earth, the sea, or the trees until we have placed a seal on the foreheads of God's servants. Dear child of God, you are sealed with the mark of God in your baptism. The name of Jesus marked you as his own. Yes, your triune God knows everything, that's what omniscient means, but he knows you in a special way, in a different way, a particular way. He knows you, as we say, like the back of his hand. And what do you see when you look at the back of your Lord's hand? Look at the mark of the nails, which engraved your name into his hand. It's normal for sheep or other livestock to be tagged, their ears pierced, so that they're marked with the mark of their shepherd. But your good shepherd has been marked with your name, too. And if you are doubtful that you are included in this fold of the shepherd, look how lovingly he gazes at you from behind this text. He says, I know my sheep, and my sheep know me, and I lay down my life for the sheep. I also have other sheep that are not of this sheep pen. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. And that is meant for you, dear sheep. Through the ministry of his word and sacraments, he has called many others into his sheep pen. And through the ministry of his word and sacraments, he has called you into his sheep pen. Undoubtedly, you face the wolves and the lions and the bears, and certainly you have felt through no fault of your own that you've been ensnared by brambles and thorns, have been bruised and beaten, have been led into a barren wasteland rather than the green pastures and the quiet waters. So does the shepherd really love you? Is he really taking care of you? Does he really know what you need? I know how that must feel sometimes. Maybe even all the time. Maybe you can't think of a single pleasant time in recent memory, and my heart goes out to you for that. Pastors should reflect the loving concern of their good shepherd. After all, pastor means shepherd, and we serve as under-shepherds to the Savior. Yet the flock does not belong to me or any other under-shepherd. We are caretakers for now. Pastors also are not perfect. In fact, we frequently fail. We don't know the sheep as well as Jesus does. We don't reflect the perfect love of Jesus as well. After all, we're sheep too, needing that shepherd. But the pastor's job is done best when I make you stop looking at me and instead look to Jesus. He is the green pasture. He is the quiet water to which you must be led. In the office of a pastor, the man appointed by the good shepherd baptizes in these living waters so that you're marked not with the name of the pastor, but with the name of Jesus. In the office of a pastor, the man appointed by the good shepherd leads you to the real living food, feeding you the body and blood of the good shepherd himself. That is the real green pasture. It's living and life-giving food because, as Jesus said, I lay down my life so that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down on my own. I have authority to lay it down, and I have the authority to take it up again. 
He is risen from the dead. In his resurrected life, therefore, he does lead you. You'll pass through crosses and trials. You'll wonder why, but you are part of his flock. He has purchased you by his own blood. He has guaranteed you eternal life with him. That's what all of those signs mean. When it's hard, impossible even to go on, he carries you. The other sheep in your fold will gather around you. It's our purpose to warm you in the cold, to pull you free from the brambles when you're stuck, to stick together against the wolves, being guarded all behind the rod and the staff of the one who knows us. And that's the thing. It seems so often as though he has forgotten you, abandoned you, and therefore it seems as though his promise has failed, where he said, and surely I am with you always until the end of the age. You may wish to shout, then where are you now, Lord? Jesus has sent for you the ministry of word and sacrament. While your earthly pastors, your under-shepherds may not always be excellent at it, our purpose is to guide you as Jesus would. That means compassion, empathy, sharing in your sorrows, weeping with you, praying with you, rejoicing with you, and giving you the love of your good shepherd because he does know you. He knows your weakness. He knows your trouble. He knows your name. The shepherd's work isn't glamorous by worldly standards. But for the sheep, having a good shepherd who truly loves his sheep, who truly knows his sheep, who put himself through death so that his sheep might live, there's nothing better than that good shepherd. And because Jesus has been raised from the dead, he remains your good shepherd who knows you, who loves you, and who will bring you to the eternal green pastures and quiet waters With him. Amen. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, forevermore. Amen.